The Soccer Gambling Podcast is brought to you by our Patreon. Score exclusive perks, content and contests, including our NFL Win Totals Contest with a $1,000 prize. Join today at sportsgamblingpodcast.com slash Patreon. That's sportsgamblingpodcast.com slash Patreon. We're also brought to you by Parlay Play. Parlay Play is a lead pipe locking for parlay props. Go to parlayplay.io and use the promo code SGP for a 100% deposit bonus today. That's parlayplay.io and use the promo code SGP for a 100% deposit bonus today. We are back. You are listening to the EPL show here on the Soccer Gambling Podcast. You can follow the Soccer Gambling Podcast on Twitter at SGP Soccer. That's at SGP Soccer. You can follow the Sports Gambling Podcast Network on Twitter as well at the SGP Network. That's at the SGP Network. And finally, you can also follow my other Twitter account where I tweet about all sports and will be releasing a plethora of free plays to start out the season. That is at LockBettingX. That's at LockBettingX. I should be saying you can follow our X accounts, although that does sound like I'm telling you to follow my ex-girlfriend or something. But... That's going to take some getting used to over the next year or so. But yes, you can follow our X accounts, which are at SGP Soccer, at the SGP Network, and as I said, at LockBettingX. At LockBettingX is also the place where I post my monthly P&L. I am a transparent and tracked handicapper who has now delivered 122 months in a row of transparent track profit. The pin tweet will always be my PL spreadsheet from the previous month. And that doesn't disappear into thin air at the end of the month. All of these spreadsheets get put over at lockbetting.com. So if you ever want to sign up to my service to get additional plays, you can do your research, do your due diligence. I actually encourage you to do it by heading over there, looking at the spreadsheets, look at the type of bets, look at the stakes. It's all very sensible. It's none of this garbage five-star play or 10-star plays or 20-unit whales or 25-unit maxes. None of that. It's all sensible staking. It's all tracked and transparent. And it has led to being undefeated every single month for over a decade. Before we move on to breaking down part one of the futures markets, let me also tell you guys to get yourself signed up for the Sports Gambling Podcast Patreon. The Patreon gives you access to exclusive contests, including the NFL Win Totals Contest with a $1,000 first prize. Besides season-long contests, they also have weekly contests just for Patreons. Plus, 
a monthly SGP Stories podcast completely ad-free and full of behind-the-scenes stories from SGPN. There is even a Discord channel just for Patreons. Only you can prevent corporate gambling and you can do your part by signing up today at sportsgamblingpodcast.com slash Patreon. That's sportsgamblingpodcast.com slash Patreon. If we're in the treble, yeah? Yeah. What are you going to do with that? They won the title last season. Since added Erling Haaland to the mix. I mean, are they unstoppable this season? Lights, music, go. The time has come to bring on the champions. This documentary is going to be the best ever. He doesn't know our dad's cat Grealish. <laughs> Cross comes in for the night of food and Absolutely brilliant. I think we can go all the way. We will get in trouble. They're in a proper, proper cycle, they say. You will see. What did you make of Man City? They're losing ground and Arsenal are absolutely fine. It doesn't look right, does it, at City at the moment? Oh! things always you have to have correct portion of obsession to desire first part of the system was great but it's not local we can beat them all <laughs> the more relaxed I am the better I feel you want to play the final the Champions League that's the best half of football I have ever seen keep going Premier League, Champions League, FA Cup. We're going to play the final. Final. He's been uncomfortable, guys. I am in Wembley Stadium. I am in Istanbul. Might this be the biggest FA Cup final of all time? I think that they want to destroy the travel, guys. Every single minute we have to be there. This game probably the ball just stuck perfectly in our arms and that's it. Will it be a treble or a seismic shock? It's once in a lifetime, guys. I know how you dream. This situation, we are not going to leave it again. They only needed to break 115 rules to do it. But Manchester City did win the treble last season. The Premier League, the FA Cup and the Champions League. Man United couldn't stop him in the FA Cup final. Inter Milan couldn't stop him in the Champions League final. And Arsenal could not prevent them from winning the EPL once again. And Arsenal are the lead runners in the market to stop them winning the EPL again this season. Obviously, Manchester City are the overwhelming favourites. But I'm not as short as they were last season. If you shop around, you can get Manchester City at around about 10 to 11 to win the league next season. Now, that line is not widely available. They are more commonly priced up at 4 to 5 minus 125. 
But I still think there's decent value there in the selection. And we'll talk about why in a second. Arsenal have been shortening almost every single week. They opened up the same price as Liverpool at 7-1. to one. They are currently at 9-2, to two, which is plus 450 US price. This has probably been because of a number of additions. The first one they got over the line was Declan Rice, or at least that was rumoured for a while. It took a while to get it signed. I think technically Havertz got over the line first, but still, it was Rice that we knew was coming in, then Havertz, then Timber was signed as well. So these are strong players to add to your squad And it resulted in the line shortening, as I said, almost every single week. And then with Arsenal winning the Community Shield on Sunday, albeit quite luckily, the line has shortened even more with Arsenal now being at 9-2 to as we record this podcast. Liverpool remain at 7-1. to Manchester United remain at 10-1, to despite the fact, I believe that Manchester United have done some decent business in the summer. We have addressed our goalkeeping situation. We have added a midfielder in Mason Mount that does um, a very different job to Christian Eriksen. Initially, I couldn't really tell how Mount was an upgrade on Eriksen, but after further research, which I talked about over on BetMFC, which um, predominantly centres around the amount of times Mount wins the ball back in the opponent's half, he's in the top 2% in the league and Christian Eriksen is in the bottom 1%. So if you can win the ball back very quickly, you can sustain attacks after attacks break down. You can restart attacks again if you have a ball winner like Mason Mount. Obviously, that's not all he brings to the table, but I have more understanding of the signing. And of course, we just signed Rasmus Hoyland, who is absolutely dynamite. We're not sure if he's going to hit the ground running and be able to find the back of the net frequently, but we do know he's a ridiculously quick player who runs a 100 metres under 11 seconds, and that's going to be dangerous in the EPL next season. Um, So United, though, haven't moved as a result of these signings. Chelsea, they are a bit of a mess, more outgoings than incomings for a change, but I still feel that they could do a little bit more business before the window closed. But adding Christopher and Cuckoo is huge, even though he misses the start of the season. They've also got Jackson up front, but there have been many outgoings there. So if you're betting on Chelsea, you are heavily relying on the appointment of Mauricio Pochettino working out and him being everything that he's been touted to be since he left Tottenham, but he hasn't had much success since he's left Tottenham. So is there any of the old Mauricio Pochettino still there? Chelsea will be banking on the fact that there is. Newcastle out to 25-1, despite the fact they've added some significant additions and finished fourth last season. This has really been the first summer where we've really seen Newcastle go for it. Although still not going for it in the way where people assumed they would go for it initially when they were taken over. They haven't had that Rubinho-type signing that that Manchester City had when they got taken over. But still, sensible signings. um, Quite a big price here at 25-1. to Tottenham at 50-1. to Um, It'll be interesting to see how Ange gets on as the new Tottenham boss. I think a realistic aim would would be the top four for them. And if they can get Champions League football, perhaps Harry Kane will finish his career at Tottenham. The Harry Kane saga has dragged all throughout the summer. 
And uh, as we're recording, we still actually don't know where he's going to go. There was supposed to be a final offer from Bayern Munich on Friday. That was turned down. And now it looks like there's going to be another final offer. So a final, final offer in the region of £94 million, I believe. And um, then we've got Aston Villa and Brighton, both at 100-1. to Both of them had really good seasons last season. Brighton's players have been scouted heavily. And um, we've already seen McAllister go to Liverpool. And uh, Caicedo is getting bidded on every four or five days. So it'll be interesting to see if they actually take something for him. They're holding firm for 100 million, but it'll be concerning for Brighton fans if he goes as well, because I don't think they really are going to make any kind of addition to replace him. Although I say that, but Brighton's scouting is phenomenal and they always do seem to find a way to replace their outgoings. And Aston Villa, they have done incredible business over the summer. We'll talk more about that when we look at the top four and the top six, because I don't see them as Premier League title contenders at all. Although stranger things have happened and they do look quite big at 100 to 1, given the personnel they've added to their squad. But for me, there are only three realistic challenges for Manchester City this season. And for either one of them to emerge as challengers, everything needs to go right. Now, a lot of people are tipping up Arsenal to win the league, especially after they won the Community Shield at the weekend. I just don't see that. I see a Manchester City team that went into that game with two weeks less preparation and still were winning for 99 minutes of the game. And Arsenal needed a late deflected goal from Trossard to get that game to penalties and then they won a penalty shootout. For me, that isn't convincing at all. It's also not convincing when you have Kai Havertz as your striker and he misses two clear-cut chances. Now, obviously, Arsenal had to create those clear-cut chances, but Manchester City also created chances where they could have scored more goals in the game. They could have put it out of sight had it not been for an incredible save by Aaron Ramsdale from Phil Foden late on to make it 2-0. So I'm looking at a Manchester City side here who had two weeks less preparation because they had a longer season and came back two weeks later and still pushed Arsenal all the way to extra time. And Arsenal had a full strength lineup out there. Manchester City didn't. Manchester City were still having players, still had players with fitness issues, had a few injuries going into that game. And uh, they did not have a full lineup there. They did not have a full pre-season and Arsenal are celebrating that Community Shield win like they've won the league. I still think Arsenal's squad isn't deep enough. I don't understand the signing of Kai Havertz. At the moment, it looks like he's going to come in and replace Gabriel Jesus, but I don't understand why he's doing that when you have Eddie Nketiah. If you don't trust Eddie Nketiah, let him go. You want uh, £50 million for Balogun. But if you rate Balogun as a £50 million striker, why is he not your number nine while Gabriel Jesus is out? If you want £50 million for the guy, then surely he's good enough to start when you lose Gabriel Jesus. Why are you looking to pick up £50 million for this player? It doesn't make any sense. The signing of Havertz doesn't make any sense because are Arsenal good enough to play with Havertz and Odegaard in the same team and have Gabriel Jesus as the striker when he's back? 
because their wing positions, I understand, are very, very strong. When you are looking at Trossard being the cover for Martinelli and for Bukayo Saka, that's an, that's a place where Arsenal don't have any issues. If Havertz and Odegaard were there as squad players for the same position and Arsenal were playing with two number sixes, which would be Rice and Partey, and Partey was still in the projected 11, giving you that cover, that would make more sense. But I don't think Kai Havertz is signed there to become a substitute. And I don't think he was signed to be a centre-forward either. So it looks like Arsenal are going to start once Jesus is there with Havertz and Odegaard, which would be two eights which means that you're relying on Declan Rice for £100 million plus, being your holding midfield player, which is a lot of money for a holding midfield player, with everybody telling me how great Rice is and how much he's going to improve under Arteta. But he's going to be doing an even more defensive job than he was doing at West Ham because he's not going to be playing alongside Soshek. He's going to be depended upon to do most of the defensive work unless they really do think that the combination of Gabriel and Saliba are that incredible that Arsenal can just push up the pitch and leave those guys in two-on-two or three-and-two situations. I don't think that the defenders that Arsenal have are proven enough to leave themselves in those predicaments. I think Saliba is great. I think Gabriel is great as well. I think Timber is a great signing if you're looking to cover one of the two because last season, obviously, they fell short because they lost Saliba. And also, Timber can play as a right-back as well. But you don't have a real right-back. Ben White is signed as a centre-back and you've turned him into a right-back. Teams that are challenging for the league don't have players playing out of position. They don't have square pegs in round holes, which is what I see a lot of at Arsenal. There's also the rumoured signing of David Raya, more than rumoured, because the bookies have it at minus 2,000 that that's going to be his next club. So it looks like Raya is coming in to, I quote, create competition in the goalkeeping department. You don't really want that level of competition. You don't want your goalkeepers nervous that one mistake means that they're going to be out of the side. Aaron Ramsdale is an established keeper now at Arsenal. Aaron Ramsdale is seen as a popular team leader. If he's nervous for his position and is dropped for a few games for making a mistake or can't get his spot back, then how does that help Arsenal? Unless David Raya is this big inspirational figure who's this incredible shot stopper and also has that ball-playing ability that all managers want now. That's why Manchester United have signed Unana, that ball-playing ability, and that would make him the complete goalkeeper and therefore a worthwhile replacement for Ramsdale. And then you can justify wasting that money on Ramsdale or selling Ramsdale next summer or, or whatever Arsenal go on to do. I just look at this team and I find the signings a little bit confusing. I think Gabriel Jesus has had a catalogue of injuries over the years. He's just re-injured the knee that he had surgery on. So I would have been looking for a new number nine. I don't think Gabriel Jesus, for me, is a number nine that's good enough to be with a top four club. He is a great player, but he likes to go deep. He likes to go wide. He's more of a utility forward than a number nine that's just going to be ruthless like Erling Haaland or Lewandowski that's going to get you those goals. That's what I'd have been looking for if I was Arsenal. 
I definitely would have signed Declan Rice. I don't know if I would have paid 105 million. I think that's over the odds. I think for that much money, I would have rather have spent 100 money, 100 million pounds on Calcedo because Calcedo gives you a little bit more in terms of passing. He's more of an overall player. He's the player that people are telling me that Declan Rice is going to be or he's potentially going to be, but I just don't see it in Rice. I don't see a £105 million player. I haven't seen enough to justify that price tag. What you've paid there is the English tax. You've paid £105 million for a £60 to £55 million player. That's what I think Arsenal have paid for there. But it's definitely an upgrade. It's definitely an improvement. The signing of Timber makes sense. The signing of Raya really doesn't. And the signing of Havertz is absolutely baffling because if you are going to play with two eights, then Arsenal, who didn't have an excellent clean sheet record really for a team challenging for the title last season, they were frequently conceding goals home and away. That's not going to help you to to be more attacking or to set up with two more creative players behind your front three. So it's a baffling signing. I think that baffling is the main word I would use to describe how I feel about Arsenal's window. Other people obviously feel differently because Arsenal's price is shortened. I could be made to look very, very stupid. I'm sure that Arsenal fans are dying to clip this bit of audio, which is ironic because nobody ever clips any audio for everything that I'm right about over and over and over again. But feel free to do that. I just feel a little bit baffled and confused by the business that Arsenal have done this summer. And um, I think they'll fall short once again. I think it will be a decent achievement if they do stay in the top four, because at least that brings a level of consistency. I don't think that Arsenal necessarily need to challenge for the title again in order for this season to be successful. I think if you can go back to back in the Champions League, that for me is successful, considering what's around you, considering that Liverpool had a huge down season, considering how bad Chelsea were, considering how bad Tottenham were, considering that Manchester United were in transition and have improved this season again. You can't expect Chelsea and Tottenham to be that bad. You can't expect Manchester United not to improve. You can't expect Liverpool to be that bad again. And let's not forget about Newcastle as well. They look like they're on an upward trajectory as well. So for Arsenal to be consistent enough to remain in the top four, I think that would be goal one. I think a title challenge would be a bonus. I think that the supporters are getting overly excited, as Arsenal fans tend to do. But I just don't see Arsenal as title challenges again this season. A lot of people will disagree with me, but we'll see what comes to fruition by the end of the season. Before we look at some of the other teams here, let me quickly tell you guys about Parlay Play. We're brought to you by Parlay Play. Parlay Play is a great way to get down on your favourite parlayed player props. The football season is right around the corner and Parlay Play will have all your favourite props. Parlay Play is available in a ton of states, including California and Texas. Plus, for our good friends up north, Parlay Play is also available in a bunch of provinces in Canada. And when you sign up with our code, you'll get a sweet bonus to get started. Head over to parlayplay.io and use the promo code SGP for a 100% deposit bonus. Up to $100. That's parlayplay.io and the promo code SGP. So we primarily talk about Manchester United over on BetMUC. And 
I'll talk about United mostly when I do my season preview over there. But one thing I will say, it surprised me that our line hasn't moved at all. I'm quite happy with the business that we've done. As I spoke about earlier, I was confused a little bit by the mount signing, but a little bit of research into that does kind of tell you why we made the signing. It's clear to me what Ten Hag is trying to do. We are trying to sustain attacks more so that we are not susceptible to the counterattack. And if we have a player like Mount and a player like Casemiro behind him who can win the ball back quicker, that allows our defenders to push higher up the pitch. Obviously, if we can, if we are played through and teams can play through the lines, then Manchester United may be exposed. But that's where Unana comes in because we're going to have a goalkeeper sitting 40 yards off his line all of the time. That can go very, very wrong, as it did in the friendly against Lons, or it could be a gamble that sees Manchester United dominate games. Also, with the signings that we've made, when we have a player like Casemiro, Bruno Fernandes, and even our goalkeeper, Unana, who are able to play 60, 70 yard balls, we are going to be able to utilise that pace and be very dangerous on the counter-attack with the pace that we have with Garnacho, Marcus Rashford and Hoyland, who, as I mentioned earlier, runs the 100 in just over 10 seconds or, or under 11 seconds, shall we say. So that's going to be incredible. I'm expecting a better season from Anthony. I think Man United are being underrated once again. Obviously, you'll think I will say that because I am a Man United supporter, but we'll talk more about Manchester United over on BetMUFC. That's where you'll get your individual Manchester United season preview. Also, um, before that comes out and before we get part two out, guys, make sure that you are playing the FPL Fantasy League, the Fantasy Premier League. Just go to fantasy.premierleague.com and pick your team. Or the easiest way to do it is to go to the pin suite at the Twitter account at SGP Soccer and just click that link. And then you can enter your team. You'll already be automatically put in a mini league. All you'll need to do is sign up if you haven't already joined and then pick your team and you'll be able to win the incredible prizes that we're giving away. We're done with the cash and the gift cards, although there is a gift card for third place. But prior to that, we are giving away signed merchandise. If that's not your bag, you can trade it for a gift card, but it's not a gift card of the same value because the first place prize is a choice between a jersey from Sadio Mane, Phil Foden or Marcus Rashford, all player version jerseys signed by the players. These have a value of around about five to six hundred pounds, which is seven hundred dollars, seven hundred and fifty dollars plus. So that is an incredible prize for first place. Second place is a signed trading card. You have a choice of Bruno Fernandes, Van Dijk or Harry Kane. Again, mega value with those signed trading cards. So you can get this stuff for free. We are giving away prizes for the top three. Signed shirts for the winner. A choice of your signed shirt for the winner. Choice of signed trading cards for runner-up. Third place gets a $100 SGP and gift card. And fourth place gets any any classic jersey of their choice. I can get you any jersey for fourth place. So it's not just top four getting through to the Champions League. Here, the top four are getting rewarded with incredible prizes. And all you need to do is go to the Twitter account at SGP Soccer and look at the pinned tweet and you can join for free. So we'll move on to, to talking about Liverpool, 
who I see as the only other viable threat to Manchester City, who we're going to talk about last. Liverpool have a big hole in their midfield, despite the fact they've signed Slobosai and Alexis McAllister, two signings who I think are huge upgrades on an ageing midfield. Now, they have the choice of either signing another midfielder and literally having a brand new midfield or implementing Trent Alexander-Arnold as a midfielder and therefore they would need to sign a right-back or they would need to risk Joe Gomez as their right-back, which is scary. Unless Liverpool are planning to go all-in on Curtis Jones and play him as the midfielder. That, for me doesn't seem like the most likely option, but you just don't know with with Jurgen Klopp. Jurgen Klopp obviously has something in mind. If you look at the teams that Liverpool have played in the friendlies, Curtis Jones has been getting a lot of minutes, so perhaps that is what he's doing, as opposed to going with the Trent option that many expected him to go with. If we look at the Liverpool lineup for a recent game against Bayern Munich, they ended up going with the, the usual 4-3-3. Trent was the right back. They went with the combination of Matip and Van Dijk and Robertson out wide on the left. So that's their usual back four. Allison obviously in goal. The midfield was McAllister, Jones and Slobosley with the striking trio of Salah, Gakpo and Jota. But of course, we know they have uh, Luis Diaz and Darwin Nunes as well. So it looks like that's what Liverpool are going to do. It looks like they are going to give Jones a run out. They also have Harvey Elliott as cover in that position. I also believe that they could play uh, McAllister and Slobosly as the deeper sitting midfielders and utilise one of those attackers. I think you've only really got two options. I can't see Jota doing it and I can't see Nunes doing it. And I can't see Salah doing it, but I can see Diaz or Gakpo as 10s if that's something that you want to try during the season. They haven't tried it in the preseason, so they probably won't. They played Bayern Munich recently. Both teams put out very, very strong teams and Bayern Munich won the game 4-3. So if you're looking at that as a Liverpool fan, you will be slightly concerned that you did ship four goals to Bayern. You did allow 16 shots, 12 of them hit the target and Bayern Munich had 61% 61 of possession in that game. So it looks like what Thomas Tuchel wants to do at Bayern is working because They've had some incredible results during preseason. Liverpool did bounce back from that defeat against Bayern Munich. I say bounce back. It is preseason. I don't think teams are overly concerned about what their results are. I think they're mainly looking ahead to performances. But they did go on to beat Darmstadt of Germany by a 3-1 scoreline. In that particular game, they did try Gakpo as a midfielder. So it's... Obviously not Bayern Munich where you really want to see if it works, but they are toying around with that. And perhaps, perhaps if that works, he then feels like he has enough midfield cover. This was a game that saw Liverpool have 27 shots, 10 on target and have 68% of the ball. A very different outcome, a very different type of game to the Bayern Munich game. But I think Liverpool are definitely ready for the season. If you look at the lineups that they've put out during the preseason, they haven't they haven't really tinkered too much with 
trying this youth player or trying that youth player. It does seem like Curtis Jones will be the one who gets bought into the team uh, semi-regularly. So this is what Liverpool are going to do. Are they a strong enough squad now to challenge for the title again and for me to regard last season as a complete anomaly? No, but I do think that they will be good enough to get back into the top four. Anfield, again, is going to be a very, very difficult place to go to. And it would not surprise me to see Liverpool winning 15 of their 15 or 16 of their games at Anfield this season and having an incredible home record that puts them in a good enough position to qualify for the Champions League as a result of what they're doing at Anfield, as Anfield becomes a fortress once again. That's going to be important for Liverpool. I mean, it's not like their away record was poor last season. Their away record was abysmal. And they'll have to improve on that, much like Manchester United will need to improve on that. Manchester United were 14 points behind Manchester City last season, but they won 15 of their 19 home games, drawing three and losing one. Liverpool were an incredible 22 points behind Man City. This is a team who challenged Manchester City year after year and suddenly fell 22 points behind them, despite the fact they, like Man United, only suffered one home defeat. They had five draws and 13 wins. Even that will need to be approved upon in order to challenge for the league. They'll need somewhere in the region of 15, 16 wins to challenge for the league. If you look at Manchester City, they played 19 home games like everyone else. They won 17, drew one and lost one and scored 60 goals on their own turf. Manchester United only scored 36, although they did only concede 10. If you look at the away records, this is where you see a huge difference. Man United, despite being fifth in the away table, they only won eight out of 19 games, which you could say, okay, they did well to be fifth in the away table if their home table was was that high. But you want to challenge for the league. So you can't be fifth in the table. You can't have eight wins out of 19, drawing three and losing eight. You can't lose 6-3 at Manchester City and lose 7-0 away to Liverpool. And Liverpool are even worse. They played 19, won six out of 19, drew five and lost on eight occasions also. And also had a minus one goal difference. Man United's away goal difference was minus 11 with seven of those goals coming against Liverpool. So these two teams will need to continue having their home grounds as a fortress. Old Trafford and Anfield will be very, very important once again. And they'll need to drastically improve their away form. And because their away form was so poor, I'm using this as a positive. I'm using this as a positive barometer to say they have so much room for improvement. They cannot possibly be that piss poor on the road again this season. That's why I'm expecting better seasons from both Manchester United and Liverpool. And that's why I'm saying Arsenal being title challengers is no way guaranteed. I'm not going with the narrative that everybody else is. I'm looking at these two behind them and saying Liverpool have been far more consistent over the years. How can we write them off after one season? Manchester United have strengthened significantly. If you were to make one of those combined 11s with Manchester United and Arsenal... It would not be dominated by Arsenal to the extent that we see here with the pricing of these two teams to win the league. 
I can make a strong case for Manchester United having better centre-backs than Arsenal when you're looking at um, Varane and Martinez. Our goalkeeping situation with Unana, who was phenomenal for Inter, especially in the Champions League, being the better goalkeeper. I think Luke Shaw is a more consistent left-back. I think we have better competition in the right-back position with Wan-Bissaka being such a great defender trying to sort out his attacking side of the game and Diego Dallo being a great forward-thinking full-back and needs to sort out his defensive side of the game. But if either one of them inherited the key attributes of the other, we'd have the best full-back in the world. In Casemiro, you can put him alongside Rice and Partey and you can argue that he's the best CDM there, at least historically, at least given what he's won and his status in the game. Casemiro is the man. Is Odegaard better than Bruno Fernandes? Well, statistically, you would say yes. But if you watch Manchester United and you see the number of missed chances that we have off the back of Bruno Fernandes could be assists, which are not a calculated statistic, then you would say Bruno Fernandes is the better midfielder. He's certainly the more hardworking player. Bruno Fernandes is very, very underrated and people largely just talk about his theatrics and things like that, which is unfair because other players who do the same thing don't get discredited as much as Bruno Fernandes does. He seems to be somewhat of a scapegoat. We've also added Mason Mount to our lineup, which is a player that Arsenal wanted to sign, I believe. Marcus Rashford certainly gets into any kind of combined 11. We haven't looked at Hoyland yet. I think Anthony's going to have a better season. But until we see them, you'd probably go with Rashford down the middle and you take Martinelli and Saka as your wide players until we see some improvement from Anthony, until we see Jadon Sancho actually having a decent season in a Man United shirt, until we see Ganacho be the player that many people think he's going to be. But it's not overwhelming, as I just outlined. You can do the same for Liverpool. You can put a lot of the Liverpool forwards in that team. Most people would have Van Dijk. Everybody would have Alisson as the goalkeeper. You'd find a spot for Alexis McAllister. And again, Arsenal are not the team who are the overwhelming challenges for the league, as the market would suggest. I'm expecting big improvements from Liverpool and Manchester United. And if they can pick up away points and remain consistent as at home as they were last season, then we could have a title challenger emerging out of one of those two clubs. So we've addressed all of the pretenders. Now let's have a look at the favourites, Manchester City They are going here for four in a row. It's never been done before. And quite frankly, they are going to take some stopping. I think realistically, for Manchester City not not to win the league next season, not only are you going to need to see those three teams improve, Arsenal not bottling it at the end, being able to have the consistency throughout the season, being able to have the squad depth to see it through, Liverpool and Manchester United needing to drastically improve their away records, whilst all three sides will need to utilise their squads to balance European football, as I do expect all three of them, no matter who they're drawn against on August the 31st, to make it through to the later stages of the Champions League. It would be disastrous for any of these teams to drop into the Europa League or to go out, given the quality that all three of them have. But... Do they have the squad depth to compete? Can Liverpool and Manchester United improve away from home? They will need to. And 
despite doing that, they will need a drop-off from Manchester City. They will need a Manchester City team who are somewhat complacent after winning the treble and winning the Premier League over and over and over again as they look to win it for the fourth year in a row. They will need a drop-off in consistency. They will need an element of complacency. Otherwise, it's very, very difficult for me to see any any other outcome. At one stage during the season, it looked like a lot of players who'd done what they wanted to do were moving on. It looked like Carl Walker was going to Bayern Munich. It looked like Bernardo Silva was going to play in the Saudi league or going to Paris Saint-Germain. We already saw the captain Gundogan leave, which I think will be a big miss. We already saw Laporte leave the club. We saw Mares go to Saudi Arabia. So there have been some outgoings, but they haven't been as significant as they were expected to be at one point. And by signing Gardviol from RB Leipzig, a deal that I wasn't sure at one point was going to get over the line because Leipzig have lost a lot of players and they really wanted to mount a title challenge this season. But with Nkuku and Gardviol and Slobosly all gone, I don't think Leipzig are going to mount any sort of title challenge. I think they'll be lucky to stay in the top four, given the number of outgoings they've gone. So I'm expecting Dortmund to finish above them and I'm expecting Bayer Leverkusen to improve drastically. So um, it's going to be difficult for them. But City did manage to get that bit of business done. They have signed one of the best defenders in Europe and one of the best players from the last World Cup. He now comes in. He is a huge upgrade on Laporte. And whilst Kovacic is not an improvement on Gundogan, he is a competent player who can play in that position. And this team still won the league relatively comfortably at the end, despite the fact Arsenal led throughout most of the season. They probably will need to shop around and get a winger. I have no doubt that they will sign a replacement for Mares between now and the end of the window. And therefore, for me, they still have to be the favourites because the chasing pack will need to have a perfect season. When you're looking at someone like Erlen Haaland, it's difficult for me to see him having a huge drop-off. If anything, he could have an improvement. He could be given more minutes. He may not be substituted, substituted at certain times, looking at games ahead, and he could end up eclipsing his 36-goal tally. If he doesn't, he's still going to be good for a minimum of 30 goals. He's still going to be the top goal scorer in the league, and Manchester City are still going to win games where, in previous seasons, they could not break down teams because they didn't have somebody there to score that dirty, scrappy goal which Haaland did, which made the difference in the Champions League, as I predicted at the start of the season, because I did have Manchester City winning those two trophies at the start of the season. And it's difficult to look beyond that again, because the Champions League monkey is off their back and the Premier League has almost become an automatic. It has to be a case of somebody having to take this away from them, somebody going on a run where they put significant pressure on Manchester City for a change. And many thought Arsenal were going to do that. I didn't. I didn't think Arsenal built up enough of a lead. I think Arsenal are notoriously linked to bottling or to uh, crumbling, uh, which would be an easier term for US people to understand. And I always felt like Manchester City would win the league, especially with those head-to-heads, which if you discount the Community Shield at the weekend, has now seen Manchester City win eight straight against Arsenal. Manchester United, Liverpool or Arsenal will need to deal a blow to Manchester City 
in terms of winning those six-point battles during the season. If they can do that, if Arsenal can end the jinx and they can beat Manchester City, if Liverpool can beat Manchester City, if Man United can beat Manchester City like they did last season, while also producing a better showing at the Etihad, because don't forget... All of these teams were beaten comfortably. Manchester City covered the minus 1.5 Asian handicap line against all of the three challenges that I have identified here on the show. So they have a lot of catching up to do here. They are not only trying to catch the best team in England, they are not only trying to catch the best team in Europe, but all of the chasing pack are trying to catch the best team in the world. And they may have cheated 115 times to get there, but they are still the team to beat in the EPL next season. So unless we see one of these three challenges completely clicking, if Liverpool suddenly have that extra energy in midfield and they can be defensively better than they have been for the last couple of seasons. If everything clicks for Man United, if Ten Hag, who now has his team and now has his players, can get those tactics right and Manchester United are able to dominate more of the ball and Unana does work out as that outfield-type goalkeeper who can spray those balls across the pitch for Manchester United to destroy teams with pace, then Manchester United could be that challenger. If Arsenal can see it through for 38 games, which they, were, which they were unable to do last season, whilst being able to negotiate a Champions League campaign, all without having any player in their team contributing 20 or 25 goals that most teams need to win or at least challenge for a league, then perhaps Arsenal can be that team. It's going to be a fascinating season, but I think it's going to be more fascinating in terms of who finishes in the top four than it will be in relation to seeing who wins the league, as it's very difficult for me to see past Manchester City. But that concludes your first part of your EPL season preview. Obviously, we've primarily focused on the outright market. On the next episode, we are going to start by talking about what we just finished talking about there, which is the top four. We're also going to have a look at the top six. We're going to have a look at the top goal scorer. And we're going to have a look at the relegation situation as well, with one team significantly fancied to go down. They are historically among the clearest favourites of all time to go down from the league. But it's going to be very, very interesting to see teams travelling to Luton to play in that stadium that's got houses attached behind it. If you go on to Google, have a look at Kenilworth Road and have a look where Premier League games are going to be played next season. Is that going to be an advantage to Luton with away teams coming to play at this ground? We'll see when we break down the relegation elements. Let me remind you once again, because it's very, very important, head over to the Twitter account at SGP Soccer and sign up for free for League for your chance to win prizes for free. Signed shirts, trading cards, SGPN gift voucher and a classic football shirt all on the line for the top four. If you want to get involved, just head over to their Twitter account and sign up for the link. And finally, over at LockBetting, lockbetting.com, I will be releasing my futures plays 
in the next 48 hours. My futures of one unit and over cash at 79.8% all time. So it's a great way to not gamble, but to invest in sports. So if you want to invest in sports, futures are the best way to do it. Shoot me a DM on one of my Twitter accounts for more information at LockBettingX, or you can hit me up at SGP Soccer. You can also hit me up if you have more questions about the Fantasy Premier League competition. I already did a Fantasy Premier League podcast. So if you're sitting here and you're just here for gambling tips and you think, oh, I can't pick a team. I don't know enough about the players. I have no idea what direction I'm going in. Well, one, you can do a randomizer which will randomly pick a team for you. Or two, you can go back and listen to the Fantasy Premier League podcast that I already released over a week ago. And that will give you some solid tips in terms of what direction to go in. You may end up with a lot of the same players that I have, which is always the problem with doing that podcast every year. But you will have to transfer and make the right decisions throughout the season. But we'll be talking more about fantasy throughout the year. We've not done that in previous years on the EPL show, but we will be doing that a little bit more this year. So you'll get some regular advice. So don't hesitate to enter. It is a chance to win some great prizes for doing absolutely nothing. The schedule for the rest of the week is as follows. We are going to release the second part of your EPL season preview tomorrow. We're also going to release a La Liga preview because La Liga also starts on Friday. It's important to remember the EPL starts on Friday with Burnley hosting Manchester City, not on Saturday. And with that, you're going to get the very first episode this season of the EPL show. Obviously, this is the first episode because it's the future show. But I'm, of course, talking about Match Day 1. The Match Day 1 episode looking at the weekly games will be released on Friday afternoon. So it'll be out just in time before the kickoff, which will be Burnley versus Manchester City. Until then, good luck with all your bets as always. And thanks for listening.